Hi, I'm Andrew Houghton, and you're listening to Soccer in Snow and Smoke, a soccer podcast from ESPN Missoula. In this episode, we present part two of a two-part interview with Mark Cranston, a Frenchtown native who became one of the United States men's national team's biggest fans. In this episode, Mark talks about the craziest crowds and wildest travel he's ever done for a game, as well as gives his thoughts about the U.S. men's national team's upcoming World Cup qualifying window that will determine whether or not the team goes to the 2022 World Cup. Thanks again to Mark for coming on, and I hope you enjoy this episode of Soccer and Snow and Smoke. Did you pick up any other fan allegiances, I guess I would say, during the time? I mean, United States, obviously. I know you talked about the the Sounders, and they're still around. Any European teams, any MLS teams that you picked up on? So I, I, yeah, embarrassed to say that I was a Sounders fan uh, back in the day. Now that I'm a huge Timbers fan, <laughs> so uh, having gone to, or- I, I transferred from Montana to Oregon State to get into a state that actually had a medical school, and then went to medical school in Portland. Uh, so I've always, you know, kind of developed that allegiance for Portland over Seattle, you know, after after my high school years. Um, but uh, yeah, so I'm a huge Timbers fan. Uh, we, uh, when the Timbers came into um, MLS, we were stationed in Mississippi, and the whole idea was that I would retire and we'd move back to Portland. And so my wife, the inaugural year, put us on the wait list. And I think we're still on the, the wait list for uh, season tickets. Uh, we got a couple of years ago, we got to the point where we were actually uh, offered tickets, but uh, had, had moved away, but, or weren't living there. We did move back for two years. And that was one of the uh, caveats. I said, okay, well, if we don't have our, our season tickets, we need to buy a house that we can walk to the stadium uh, from. And so, uh, so I'm a big Timbers fan. I uh, was at the final this last year and at the final in Atlanta, uh, not the final in Columbus. So I'm kind of thinking maybe I'm the bad luck for, for the Timbers. But, uh, yeah, that would be my biggest club allegiance until we get an MLS team here in uh, Vegas, which it looks like might be happening uh, would be the Timbers. And then when we lived in Europe for three years, um, I was a big Bayer Leverkusen fan. That was back when Frankie Haydeck, Landon Donovan was there um, uh, with with the team. And so uh, go up to their games. That was kind of the the one big European team that I followed. And that was the year they made the Champions League final. Um, I was uh, there. And so uh, since then, it's pretty much just been uh, the teams with the most Americans. So with Jesse Marsh coaching now, I'll be a Leeds fan till the end of the season, I guess, and uh, kind of follow the Americans more than any other uh, club team in Europe. That's wild, man. You just keep listing off games that I wish I'd been to aside from the, the national team. I mean, that Portland-Atlanta MLS Cup final in Atlanta a couple years ago would have been unreal to be at I guess not if you were a Timbers fan but would have been crazy what's been the the, the yeah. craziest travel that, that you've done for a game just in terms of of getting to a game Ooh, uh, huh um <laughs> and actually you know I'll, I'll kind of take you outside of uh um so uh, kind of my other just interest is travel in general and so you know take away the uh, national team or some of the club teams um, I've had a chance to, to go to some kind of crazy places around the world. And one of the first things I always try to do is, uh, you know, see where the, where the soccer game's going to be. And my wife always tells the story. She said, yeah, we, you know, we moved to, 
to Germany, and I realized, you know, we were going on all, all these vacations every couple of weeks for the weekend, and uh, you know, I realized every time we got somewhere, there was a there was a soccer game going on, and so uh, so yeah, so I've been uh, to, to a number of different places uh, around the world, um, including North Korea. Um, where I just missed getting to go to a World Cup qualifying game. And uh, we were on a tour there and just arrived that night. And we, you know, tried to do everything we could to get the tour guide to alter the itinerary, which is really obviously very strict there. Um, and uh, just just couldn't get that to go. And so, uh, you know, we drove by and the lights were on. And, and you know, to this day, I still think, oh, man, that was the – that was the one I really missed out on. Um, but just some of the other places we were doing some stuff with the uh, state department in Azerbaijan and uh, which is in Eastern Europe and uh, just North of Iran, and, um, South of Russia. And, uh, and they had their very first world cup qualifying. So it was early two thousands, just after they had um, broken away from the Soviet union and so they had joined FIFA and it was their first ever World Cup qualifying game. And I remember it was, uh, you know, just a huge stadium. Um, we had, you know, one translator that happened to be working with us and then about eight people from the, the party that we were um, working with. And all of a sudden things opened up and, uh, you know, there were no, no tickets. It was just going to be a crush. And we got into one of the little cement ramps coming into the stadium and it was, it was scary. You were just, you know, crushed against that. And we just barely got in, get, you know, seated. And then all of a sudden we see at the end of each end of the stadium, there was a open general mission areas and fans were kind of coming up over the wall uh, to fill in those areas. I don't know if they, you know, went through any sort of ticket entrance or something, but they all were just making a rush and there was police up on the top with their batons kind of, trying to uh beat the fans back and 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 so uh that was just just crazy crazy situation there and then uh as far as the u.s game i'll just uh quickly say probably this last world cup qualifier in el salvador um you know they said they were going to have the because of covid restrictions have the stadium at limited capacity and uh so we were kind of expecting that and uh and so we have a you know police escort with the bus and the stadium is really in downtown uh and, and so it becomes very tight streets there so as we're kind of going through the city um the fans are thinking well oh there's the team there's the team US team and so we get a, a few waves and uh, you know a few waves with the middle finger and so forth and then all of a sudden the the it gets to the tight streets and now the bus isn't moving so quick. And, you know, you start getting the people uh, knocking on the sides of the doors, uh, you know, kind of rocking the bus a little bit. And, uh, um, but, you know, inside the stadium, it was great. They couldn't have been nicer, but uh, there, you know, those moments where you're thinking, you know, you, you feel like you're safe, but, uh, but put you on edge a little bit at least. The rowdiest crowds, would you say are, are at the Azteca or, or somewhere else? Um, so, well, you know, just coming to mind. So the rowdiest crowd that I've, a game I've ever been to was down in Buenos Aires. Um, you know, we went down there and I, I've always wanted to see a Boca Juniors game. 
And so I signed up for a tour because I knew there was no way I was going to try to navigate my way into the stadium. We went on a tour of the stadium before. Uh, but, uh, and then it turns, you know, down there, things are just kind of, um, change at a whim. So, you know, it was supposed to be, I think a Friday game or a Saturday game. And all of a sudden, because of political, whatever happened, the games got switched to a Tuesday. And so they switched the games around and, uh, racing club was playing river plate. So two other rivals in, um, in Buenos Aires were, were, were playing and the game was at racing club stadium. And so, we uh, came in in a bus there, and the same thing. It was just packed, and uh, we were just on a tour, not fans of either team. And there was a moment where they, you know, all of a sudden, were, you know, the, the tour guide just said, pull down the curtains, pull down the curtains, get on the ground, get on the ground. And, uh, you know, there was kind of a little explosion outside, and uh, and all of a sudden, you know, every security was around and they cleared us, got us in, you know, stadium, everything was fine. But in the stadium, I still remember the, the you know, people on the, you know, the overhang of the stadium. Guys were like one leg over the edge of the stadium and, uh, you know, the other leg, you know, on the stand side of the stadium chanting and, uh, you know, flares going off. And, uh, uh, yeah, so the, that was as far as just you know fans being crazy uh i would say that was probably the craziest game uh, inside of a stadium that's unreal it's mark cranston sharing stories with us on the soccer and snow and smoke podcast mark's a guy who's been all over the world watching soccer big united states men's national team fan grew up in frenchtown just outside of missoula and he's been sharing stories from uh, a life, really, multiple decades of just chasing soccer around the world. I, Mark, I mean, I can I can ask you a million more questions. I guess anything else that you wanted to talk about, we we can talk about your your autograph collection a little bit. Uh, we can talk about the players that you've seen or anything. But anything else that you wanted to touch on? Um, you know, I I guess uh, you know along those lines. One of the, the just the amazing things, you know, this was as far as wearing a costume and you know, creating, not really creating, I guess, just becoming, uh, you know, Eagle Man. <laughs> um, it's just been amazing for us to have the opportunity, my wife and I, because, you know, it's Eagle Man and Wonder Woman. Um, give you a quick story on that. So uh, the last game we went to was a women's world, uh, national team game in Carson here a couple weeks ago for the She Believes Cup. And a uh, fair amount of times, my wife's like, I'm not going to spend the time, you know, putting on the makeup and stuff, being Wonder Woman. I'm just going to go to the game. And I said, okay, well, I you know, feel the obligation. I'll, I'll wear my, my, my mask um, and, and costume. And so, you know, 10 minutes into the game, there's people sitting in front of us. And uh, the lady, you know, is on the phone. And then she turns around and she said, um, my friend back home, she's watching the game and she just wants to know uh, why Wonder Woman is not wearing her costume tonight. And so, you know, it's just been amazing to me that, you know, somebody in some other, you know, town just happens to be watching on TV and then realizes that her friend sitting next to, you know, uh, Wonder Woman and Eagle Man. Um, but that's the kind of like connections that, uh, you know, you get through soccer anyway with traveling and just recognizing people and all. Uh, but it, it, that's been the, the real reward that we've had is this opportunity to meet people and, and, you know, stay in touch with people that, uh, you know, we 
otherwise it would just be kind of a passing, you know, you met somebody and it never, never, uh, you know, stay in, in contact or have another chance to, to connect with them. We just had so many situations like that now that, uh, you know, somebody says, Oh, you know, I got this picture from you back at whatever world cup, you got to see this, or I see you on TV all the time. Can I please, please have a picture? Um, you know, even with the players, we had a couple of, uh, uh situations, uh, and years back, we were in San Antonio in a bar, and um, and it was a night before, and so I, was, I happened to be wearing a costume then. And my wife's tapping me on the shoulder and said, hey, hey, those guys are on the corner want a picture. I'm like, okay, okay, you know, I'm like, we'll get, we'll get to them. Just give me a second here. I was talking to someone. She's like, no, no, I think they really want a picture. And I turned around, and I, and I turned back to my wife. And I said, do you know who that is? That's Stuart Holden and Eric Winalda. Um, you know, and so – uh, you know, the idea that, 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 you know, the guys that I idolize and, you know, as, uh, as a fan would, uh, you know, want a picture as, um, you know, just, it, it, it's really been an opportunity to, for us to connect, like I said, with fans, um, you know, a little insight into the players chances to just, uh, you know, really see, see soccer and experience soccer. So that's nah, just been wonderful. Well, that's right. I imagine people started asking you for pictures as, as soon as that first game. I mean, probably as soon as you got out of that cab in Brazil. But when did people really start to to recognize you? Yeah, yeah, and that's a you know we we had that mile to walk up to the stadium, and it took us about an hour and a half uh, to get to the stadium, and it was just locals and you know back to that you know chance to meet people and you know just to see kids get excited and stuff. But it but it was just really a costume that they recognize oh an american fan and so um and i think people thought wow that's kind of a neat costume i'm gonna get a picture with that guy in the eagle costume and then um it was uh and we really even i thought okay then that was fun Uh, i don't know if i'll do that for the second game in the world cup but uh you know and then they thought okay well we'll do it for the second game and then it was the belgium game and um and in extra time in that game, there's a, a point where the ESPN, you know, switches over, and I forget exactly what Ian Dark says, but uh, something about you know fans not being happy or something like that. And it, uh, my wife and I are you know focused on for that five six seconds or something like that. And between that and then there was a, a picture in, uh, that Reuters uh, captured, and that kind of you know was on a lot of press Rachel Maddow show and some of these things and so actually my my daughter was a an intern uh in Austin uh her I think sophomore year of college uh during that game and they were at a big Mexican restaurant and uh when they switched over to the you know the picture of Leela and I my wife uh my daughter said oh that's my dad and uh immediately she said that you know she thought oh my gosh this is so embarrassing uh, I can't believe I just said that um but there was kind of a, a little bit of a, and then press was out there, that kind of name, uh, you know, sad Eagle man uh, kind of got out there. But still, it was kind of something we thought, well, maybe we'll do, maybe we won't. And so it's just kind of over the years, it's been more and more people recognized and more and more people, um, you know, just kind of kind of put those two together, the, 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 our faces or my mask and her face and uh, the, the national team. Uh, games and so it's just uh, you know we happen to be in uh, but not this last gold cup but the one before that sitting in uh, 
Nashville. It was after Men and Blazers had a show and they were doing an after show thing there. And it was kind of all winding down in this bar and grill. And we're just sitting in the booth. And all of a sudden we hear, you know, a couple guys with British accents and one of them uh, from the bar said, Hey, there's super uh, superwoman. And looked over and we're not wearing, you know, any, any costumes or anything, you know, what's he talking about? And he said, yeah, we know you. And then, you know, it turns out that they said, yeah, you know, every game, you just assume that there's a camera on you. Um, and so it kind of uh, has, has just grown to that point now, I think, where, you know, uh, just the fans kind of, like I said, there's games where I think, oh, maybe I won't wear a costume or something. But I, I just feel like I kind of owe it to them. Uh, it's my little thing that I can do to have, you know, somebody be kind of excited, like, oh, we saw that eagle again, you know. Um, there's that one fan that's always at the games and, you know, got a chance to see him or, if they're in the stadium, they get excited about, you know, having a picture. Um, and so it's just really been something that's grown slowly over the last, what, uh, well, we've got another World Cup coming up, so eight years now. That's right. you got to love it. It's Mark Cranston, United States Men's National Team super fan, joining us for the Soccer and Snow and Smoke podcast. I love that Belgium game in the 2014 World Cup was sort of Eagle Man's coming out party for you because I was going to – I was going to say when we were talking about the growth of American soccer fandom a little bit earlier, and we talk about 2006 really being the first World Cup that I watched at all, and then 2010, you know, I can sort of remember watching it by myself. Well, 2014, I was watching that Belgium game. I was back home in D.C. for the summer watching that Belgium game on the big screen in in Freedom Plaza with thousands of other people gathered out there, and that was a crazy moment in, in my soccer fandom. Mark, I wanted to ask you about, we've talked about her a lot, but your wife coming along with you and and being into it with you. And it sounds like, you know, I mean, you guys travel a lot, um, but it sounds like she's she's always been there for it and, and been there for you. Just how cool has that been to have her along with you? Oh, that's, yeah, it's amazing. And, and actually, it's uh, I can tell you a quick story there. Uh, you know, um, she grew up in Malaysia. And uh, so probably had more exposure or, you know, brothers would watch World Cup and so forth and um, probably had more exposure to soccer, you know, younger age, but not a not really a huge uh, sports fan. And so when we went to France in 98, I went with a couple of guys. And so we went to games. She didn't, you know, didn't even, you know, watch replays or anything like that. Uh, she just was at museums during the day and, and, and uh, nothing at all to do with soccer. And so then in 2002, the guys couldn't make it. And she said, you know what, I want to go see Korea anyway, so I'll go with you. And um, from that first game, and that was the game that we beat Portugal. And, uh, um, you know, from that moment on, she was crazy. Um, I always tell a story in South Africa. um, You know, we would uh, get up the next morning after the games and she'd be the one looking, hey, hey, I can't find the replays on the TV. I can't find the replays on the TV. And I'm kind of like, I'll go back to sleep. Well, you know, we'll get some rest first. We got another game coming up. Uh, but she yeah, has become a, a huge fan ever since uh, that 2002 World Cup. And uh, and so it, it, it's been great. And then just, uh, you know, she's more of the spokesman than I am. You got me talking today is about, is about as much I uh, would ever uh, be talking. Usually the interviews come on and, you know, the focus is on her. She's definitely the, 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 uh, the person in the spotlight when it comes to, to, to that. And so, and she's had to be, she's, you know, she's, she's, you know, 
she, sometimes she'll say that to me, you know, you're lucky you're just in a mask, you know, and I can, um, you know, she has to constantly be out there uh, as, a, as a couple whenever we're, uh, you know, out at these games and stuff. But uh, she's, she loves it, um, loves the national team, you know, a huge fan of, of soccer now. Um, and then the national team, you know, obviously with Timbers too, you know, going to games with me there. Um, but, uh, yeah, she's come a long way from the museums in, uh, in France to, uh, you know, every moment of every game and knowing who's going to be the starting lineup and, you know, for the national team and, and, and all. That's the game, man. It just gets gets its hooks into you, and then that's that turns into your life, or that turns into an obsession, man. I, I completely get it. The last thing I wanted to ask you about, as we're coming up on an hour here, it's Mark Cranston joining us on the Soccer and Snow and Smoke podcast. I know we'll get you out of here, but I, I did want to ask you about sort of this set of World Cup qualifiers coming up for the United States. You guys are planning to go down i think the first game of the set is down in mexico and then the home game coming back against panama and then down in costa rica to finish up and of course after 2018 and and failing to qualify for the world cup it's always going to be a, a very shaky situation for the phantom i know i'm a little bit stressed out about it even though the united states is in a very good position going into this this last set of games but just what are you thinking going into these these last three games that'll sort of determine whether the United States is in the world cup or, or, or not. Yeah. Yeah. I think the certainly the experience in, you know, 20, uh, for the last world cup 2018, and then just having, you know, gone to, I, I didn't get to Honduras, but all the other away games, um, this cycle, um, gives you a whole different, uh, perspective because, um, you know, we're going to be nervous, uh, going into each game. And so, you know, especially that Panama game, uh, I think in general, uh, most of the fans are, you know, traveling way supporters and, you know, our supporter groups kind of are, you know, hoping to get a tie. Be, you know, if we got a win down in Mexico, that would be amazing. But, you know, if we got a tie, that would be great. Uh, being down there for the last uh, cycle uh, when we tied 1-1 on Bradley's, uh, you know, goal, it was, um, you know, we walked away there, as winners, we felt, felt great. And so if we had something, you know, got a result down there uh, next week, that, that'll be amazing. But the whole, you know, everybody's really focused on that Panama game. Uh, win against Panama should set us up, um, unless Costa Rica just has a crazy run, uh, should set us up for uh, qualification. Um, but that being said, you know, being at the Panama game, uh, you know, Mexico at Mexico where we've never won a world cup qualifier and, you know, uh, rarely get one point, uh, you know, we tie two games and all of a sudden have to go to Costa Rica and needing uh, a win. Uh, nobody wants to do that. So everybody's really nervous. Uh, I think going into them, we're going to feel a little better if we get a result in Mexico and we're going to be ecstatic if we, you know, can qualify with a win against Panama. That's, that's what, that's what we're hoping for. What's your read on this general, on this U S team, this group of players, Greg Berhalter as coach. I mean, you're, you're probably the guy who's better positioned to give a verdict than anybody or, or than a lot of people. Cause you've been through all the iterations of this team. What's your read on this team and the guys that they've got planned for them? Yeah. Yeah. So I think, I mean, the amazing thing obviously is having 
so many young players, so many young players, you know, playing at high levels in Europe. I think that the one thing that is um, underestimated is the um, for for any team and and particularly uh, the national teams is the importance of familiarity, which this team doesn't have yet. And so, you know, 2026 is, you know, give them, you know, these guys that many more years together. And I think it'd be amazing. I've had a chance going back, interviewing uh, goal scorers for the national team all the way back to 1950s and, um, and trying to track back through the national team's history over that time. And one of the things that really stands out is these periods where they went from just throwing guys together to play, you know, the guys in the fifties, I've talked to guys that, uh, you know, went down and played in Mexico. And so, uh, 19, what was it? Uh, 65 team, they played in, in LA tied two two, and then went to Mexico. So you, you can imagine nowadays you got to tie, you got to go to Mexico, got to get a result there. I mean, it would be training, strict regiments and everything. Um, these guys went to Vegas for a, <laughs> um, a couple nights, didn't train at all, and then flew down to, to Mexico. That's what the, you know, the Federation did. And these were guys that came from all over. And every one of the guys that I interviewed from that, like, 50s to the 60s, say that the reason that they weren't able to compete with Mexico was because Mexico was training together for a couple months, and these guys were just being thrown together. Then you talk to the guys in, you know, that uh, qualified for 90 and uh, the guys from 94. And the key there was that all those guys were on contract uh, with the national team, with the federation uh, for the couple of years leading up to that. So they may not have been the most, you know, talented guys in the world, uh, but they were successful in qualifying for 90 and then getting out of the group in uh, 94 because they, you know, they, day in and day out, they were training together and playing so many friendlies together. Uh, so I think that's my biggest, you know, I think that's what we're seeing with our team now is that, yeah, we may be much more, um, you know, talented than say, you know, where we started off in the uh, World Cup qualifying uh, than a team like El Salvador. Uh, but Hugo Perez had the El Salvador team together basically for their World Cup qualifying first rounds in the spring for the gold cup uh, in the summer and then came in and were able to compete against us. And so I think that, uh, you know, this team right now has all the talent uh, that we could, you know, hope for. And now it's a matter of uh, them gaining the familiarity and uh, hopefully Burhalter is the one to, to, to lead that. Um, you know, we'll, we'll see as far as uh, coaching, but uh Certainly time, you know, COVID hasn't been any help to that, but uh, time together is probably the biggest thing this team needs. Well, that's right. I mean, with the national team, you don't have time for all these training sessions. You don't have everybody gathered in one place, especially with a team like the United States, where half the team is playing in MLS, half the team's playing in Europe, as opposed to somewhere like Honduras, where most of those players are playing in the domestic league, and you can't do any complicated training sessions with them. You just got to sort of throw them together and, and play something simple and hope that familiarity does grow. Mark, any any last thoughts before I get you out of here? And we, we are coming up on an hour now, so I will get you out of here this time. But um, before I let you go, just anything else that you wanted to touch on? Uh, just uh, just like to thank you, um, you know, uh, for this opportunity. It's great for me to kind of reminisce and look, you know, look back at uh, that change over time certainly like i said when i was out kicking the ball against the barn or 
um, you know, writing letters to Pele and, uh, you know, some of the other guys that wrote back to me, uh, well, probably his agent uh, sent back his autographs and all, but, uh, you know, b- back in the day and, and, and there was nobody that I could, you know, just uh, say, Hey, let's get together and go play some pickup here, you know, or whatever um, to, to just have the opportunity to think over my lifetime. But, uh, you know, it's gone from that to, you know, what the kids in, you know, say Missoula and, and, and other towns like that, uh, you know, you get Southern California, um, you know, New York city areas, you know, some of these areas, you know, they're going to have opportunities, uh, but to see the growth in, in small towns like that. And the fact that there's, you know, a soccer podcast in Missoula, that's, that's amazing. Uh, so I just thank you for uh, bringing me on and, uh, you know, hope the guys get a chance, uh, AO Missoula, hopefully they are having a watch party this week. Um, and hope everybody's out there. And, uh, you know, if you, if anybody gets out to any game, uh, and, and happens to have a chance to, you know, run into me, um, you know, please, please say hi. It's always amazing to, you know, hear from people from, uh, you know, my hometown, home state. And, uh, and again, just thanks for bringing me on. You got it, man. It was, it was my pleasure. It's Mark Cranston, the Eagle man of American soccer, joining us on the soccer and snow and smoke podcast, sharing his memories from growing up in Frenchtown, sharing his memories from all the years since and all the soccer games that he's seen. It's been really great, man. So, so thank you.